0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Monday, September 11th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. There are lots of things that didn't cause the housing affordability crisis taking root throughout the United States. But the overwhelmingly local problem of approving new housing demands local solutions, according to Greg Brooks of the Better Cities Project. We spoke last month in Chicago about what that might look like. I think Americans broadly have come to accept the incorrect notion that their homes ought to increase in value year over year by some small but real percentage. And that, hopefully, the uh, financial crisis taught us that that's just not true. But it's also indicative of this massive housing crisis that we have in the United States that is just now sort of really – Uh, Having a big impact in some particular areas,
1: right? And it's I like to think of it less as a housing crisis than as a uh, a, a Building crisis, right? We know how to build homes Uh, We we know exactly what areas the demand is greatest we know what you know there's nobody better than a developer at understanding product market fit and yet Across the nation, at the state level, down into the smallest little burbs, we are resistant. And then people wake up and they're surprised when they cannot afford a home or when their children graduate college and have to move away because housing is too expensive in their market for them to start their own families there. And people throw up their hands and claim that it's some sort of bad luck or it's due to inflation. And the reality is, no, we've made this problem for ourselves and we can fix it for ourselves.
0: Yeah. So uh, I don't want to get into too many details, but I've watched the uh, get emails occasionally from the mortgage originator on my home. And it's peace be unto him. Uh, I, I just don't believe it. Like the, the the house the value of my house, the, the degree to which it has increased, and it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me.
1: No, it makes perfect sense. Stop and think. You know, it Okay, so we had a long period of time, a historic, uh, historically anomalous period of time when mortgage rates were very low. So people essentially had access to nearly free money and could buy far more house than they could necessarily afford in in more normal interest rates environments. So not only do you have a problem now where we've made it harder to build, and we can talk more about that, but the people who are in their homes on those cheap mortgages, they're staying put. The, uh, The rate of people moving from existing homes into other existing homes every year has fallen by about half in the last 20 years. People just aren't moving as much. And, and increasingly, the evidence says they're not moving because they can't afford to move. The market won't let them.
0: So uh, the local and state-level housing policies that have driven these you know, consistent year-over-year year increases and then sudden spikes in particular areas where a lot of people want to move, and the pandemic certainly helped people decide to stop living in the city that they were living in. There has been quite a bit of movement in states, but there are so many states that essentially view uh, these, quote-unquote, California-style problems. And California now has better housing policy than a lot of these other states. That's right.
1: (laughs) And then Californians show up in other markets, and you get that equivalent of the South part. part, They took our germs Well, they took our houses, right?
0: Yeah. So, But there are a lot of other states that say, we don't have a problem.
1: Well- i would say that if uh if your housing is going up faster than the rate of inflation then you have a problem we've had 11 rate hikes from the fed in in recent history housing prices are still rising rents are still rising jerome powell was on the air a couple of days ago saying that this is still a primary concern uh that's not the result of corporate uh corporate buyers it's not the result of foreign buyers it's not the result of your new californian neighbor buying a house in your neighborhood it's the result of not building enough and we hear a lot about state reforms and i think states are uh, the state level is a good place to apply carrots and sticks in a strategic manner but ultimately housing Shortages and rising housing costs are a local political problem that will have to be solved locally. So, state preemption is not the correct response, not the best response? I think state preemption is a response. And the, you know, you do things at the state level that you're never going to be able to accomplish because of the complexity or the scope at a local level. But As we saw in California for years and years, cities are incredibly creative at getting around mandates to build more housing if they don't want to build more housing. So ultimately, what you have to solve for is not just the big stick from the state, but you have to solve for that political problem. You have to acknowledge the fact that NIMBYs exist. And I believe, and some of my colleagues who are working on this problem believe that You have to give the NIMBYs something to grab onto so that they feel they are not losing control of their neighborhoods while you are at the same time providing a policy framework for greater density and less delays and greater project certainty for builders.
0: So what does that look like at the local level?
1: So I am a big, big fan of two things that uh, my colleagues at Labertus Institute and I are working on under the umbrella of a project called Free to Build. One is small lot reform. We have an immense amount of, of established neighborhoods where there's a single family home on a half acre or a three quarter acre lot. I think it's reasonable to allow those lots to be subdivided down to put multiple houses there and not just subdivided so you can put an ADU or a rental property, but literally carve up the land so you can sell it. Now, what that gives homeowners who are locked into their house and maybe can't figure out how to get out, it gives them a way to tap into that equity. What it gives those of us who'd like to see more housing is a very strong tool to push back against NIMBYism, right? If, if Joe shows up at the city council meeting saying he does not want his neighborhood to change, Uh, Joe is going to have a lot harder time getting his neighbors on board if his neighbors are all looking at their personal balance sheets and saying, now, wait a minute, I can get half a million dollars out of this property and I don't have to move to do it. So small lot reform is one thing. The other thing, and this is is a, a sop to the NIMBYs, is I'm a big fan of simplifying zoning and allowing increased density at the local level, either via state mandate or ideally by local measure. But give small neighborhoods, and we're talking about like one block face, like one side of a street on a block, give them a tool to opt out of that densification. If, 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 a, if five or seven homeowners want to sign a private contract and say, we don't want this change in our neighborhood, Let them sign it, let them file it with City Hall, and it's in place for 10 or 20 years. But as I said, I think Joe Nimby is going to have a problem getting his neighbor to sign that if you also have small lot reform in place.
0: And it's interesting because uh, in smaller towns, I will say I don't live in an HOA-governed space in my neighborhood. But practically, what that often means is the city council or the zoning board becomes the HOA. That's right.
1: That's right. And one of our pitches uh, when we go around and talk to cities about their zoning codes uh, is right now, everything is a, disc- is a discretionary ball and strike. Everything. And it ties up staff resources. And it it is... Uh, at, at at best, it's a time waster for city councils, and at worst, it becomes just a blunt political tool that, frankly, they shouldn't have the power to wield. If you can get communities back into planning rather than zoning as their primary land use policy activity, it solves a lot of problems. And the way you do that is by simply having less zoning. I, we were... Uh, my colleague from Libertus, Lee Sands, and I, we took a meeting with a city uh, about a week ago, and uh, we floated. that they, they had come to us saying, we want to change our zoning policy, and we want to do it in a wholesale way, something revolutionary. And uh, we proposed radical streamlining down to a single-digit number of zones. How many zones do you think a city of 100,000 people would reasonably have on the books.
0: Well, there's residential, mm-hmm. commercial, industrial. Uh, you've got three. <laughs> and uh, maybe a couple of others. 85.
1: 85 zones on the books. And, you know, you see something like that, and that's that starts to show you the, the nature of the intractable intractability of the problem and staff would love to see these problems go away. Staff doesn't want to be in the zoning business. And so that gets me back to what I, what I said earlier, which is that it is, it is less a policy problem. I I appreciate all my colleagues who are out there doing the hard work of figuring out lot setbacks and things like that. It's important. It's part of the mix, but ultimately for us to solve this in America it is a local political problem and a state political problem, and that means calibrating our response so that, yes, to more density, yes, to reducing the regulatory overhead of building, but we are going to have to give the NIMBYs something or we will never get anything done.
0: But that's not to say that states don't have a, an important role to play. Absolutely. In, in se- because I mean, to the extent that your your goal as a state lawmaker, which this should be your goal if you're a state lawmaker, protect liberty. Right. The highest political purpose of a government is to protect liberty. And it, it seems that, you know, local tyranny can be as oppressive as any other kind of tyranny. And it seems appropriate for the state to say, no, local government, you don't get to tyrannize your uh the people who live in your community. And there are some things we here at the state might want to do about that.
1: That's right. And the state has powerful uh carrots as well as sticks, right? There's a bright-eyed, maybe even wild-eyed, libertarian vision of just let let everyone build up whatever they want anywhere. Uh you know, we know that that can work, but we also know it's hard to get there. States have the purse strings for millions and billions of dollars of local transportation funds that are handed out on a discretionary basis. They have uh, all sorts of other pools of money. It seems reasonable uh, for a state to say, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And rather than just mandate it, which will work in some political environments, but not others. Uh, The League of Cities in any given state is a powerful uh, political foe. But it seems reasonable to say, if you do something from this menu or multiple things from this menu, you will receive priority consideration for X, Y, and Z. Those are the sorts of politically calibrated things that – We're looking at, and frankly, I'd like to see other organizations look at as well because they just have a better chance of getting across the finish line.
0: Greg Brooks runs the Better Cities Project. We spoke last month in Chicago. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.